I was reading, Stephen Batchelor is a teacher who is uh, very well renowned in the Buddhist world. He is a great scholar, um, a great writer. He has many years of practice. He spent years, um, I know this because he has an autobiography called Confession of a Buddhist Atheist. And he spent many years in, in Tibetan monasteries. So he's very, very well versed in Tibetan practice and um, learned to read uh, the languages. He's, he's also a linguist. And then after he, he left uh, Tibetan practice, he went to a Zen monastery in Korea. And I think he was there for about 10 years. He ordained as a Zen monk. He was there for quite some time. And while he was there, he met this woman, this French woman who had ordained as a nun, and they fell in love, and um, they, they've lived so far happily ever after. Um, and he is, is a, a wonderful scholar because he likes to go back to the source material. And what he does is he'll, he'll translate the suttas that um, the, the Pali, which is the language the Buddhist teachings are written in. And he'll, um, I think he doesn't know Chinese because there's some um, concurrent um, suttas that are in Chinese and he doesn't speak that, but he's, he's um, looked at Pali. And what his, his work is to try and really um, clear away as much of the the fluff, so to speak, from the Buddha's teachings as you can, because as soon as, you know, somebody dies, then their teachings become interpreted. And and Buddhism has moved around the world and has has joined up with um, a lot of other teachings around the world, which is why you can go to all over the world and find all these different traditions. It's like, it's Buddhism, but they believe all different types of things. So he's really excavating. He's really trying to do linguistic, um, use linguistic tools to really cut through to what the Buddha said and what can we discern from, you know, using these um, um, linguistic techniques. He also has a bias towards um, letting go of a lot of the religiosity and a lot of the the kind of metaphysical stuff around Buddhist teachings like reincarnation and um, primarily a lot of reincarnation and uh, things like that. And he's like, what do these teachings really point to? And I have to say that I really love what he has to say because they speak to a lot of what I believe. And he has a book called Buddhism Without Beliefs. So it's like taking the dogma out and saying what's really going on. and his latest book is called After Buddhism. And I, he was here in November, Stephen Batchelor was here. And I had started reading the book then, and I really liked it. And then, as I do, I put it down. I put it down in that pile. Um, and then yesterday I picked it up, or this week I picked it back up. And I was going through it, and I was really, really excited by the, the stuff I was reading. So I wanted to talk to some of that stuff, because what he was talking about, and what he's talking about, the Buddha says, is a lot of the stuff that I've come to know through my own experience. So it's, it's kind of like when you find someone who, in their book, they go, yeah, you get to say, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what, I, that's what makes sense to me. I had that same experience over 20 years ago with a Pema Chodron book, um, Start Where You Are, when I was reading her book and I was going, this is it, this is, this is kind of what I'm trying to do. 
And so that was my first entree to Buddhist teaching. And it was very exciting. And this is also very exciting. So what I I'll just, you know, what I talked about before the meditation, I, um, I mentioned how, you know, the holidays are over. And whether we, we get into the holidays or we don't get into the holidays, whatever, they're a thing. They're there. They're a thing. You know, people decorate their houses. You can't walk around. Or you can. You can live in a closet for a month and kind of avoid the holidays. But for the most part, you can't. And they're a thing. And now they're over. But there's, there's um, you know, perhaps some residual... Um, craziness or some depression or some some kind of residual thing um, from the holidays and so what I was really interested in is how do we find a place where we can just let go and be with what's happening right here right now and that's what I like to say a lot I like to say what's happening right here right now because that's where we all are we can be a thousand miles away in our head but we actually are right here right now and the more more attention we bring to right here right now the more ease we can have in spite of what's going on right here right now and uh, I have taken on a new set of responsibilities in my life I'm a teacher here but I'm also the director of Against the Stream and I've also um, taken on the responsibility of being executive director of this nonprofit up in the Bay Area, which is affiliating with Against the Stream Mind-Body Awareness Project, which um, teaches meditation and mindfulness to at-risk youth and, and youth in juvenile halls. And it's up in the Bay Area, it's up in, um, you know, it's out of Oakland. So all of a sudden, I have a lot more shit to do. I had a really full plate, now it looks like, you know, all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, when somebody's really hungry, and I, uh, it's it's a it's some it's a language that I'm not familiar with yet. So I feel like I'm I've been dropped in a foreign country and I don't know the language. And so, but what I've been noticing is that I've been in this place of okay. Right now it's like this. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Okay, this will pass. I've been in this place before. We've all been in that place where we're brand new at something. And, it, and, and there comes a point in time where you're not brand new anymore. And, and you look back and you go, oh man, I used to not, this used to be Greek to me. Now I'm fluent in Greek, ancient and modern, you know? And so I'm at that place of just allowing that discomfort to be there. And um, when I started reading um, the Stephen Batchelor stuff, it kind of went right along, either that or it's just my perception, but it kind of went right along with what, I, with what the experiences I've been having this week. Because he talks about, um, you know, what he talks about, and this is what's really lovely, he talks about nirvana and what he really believes, and he, and he goes through some stories, he talks about nirvana as not being out there somewhere, which is what a lot of people kind of think, that nirvana is like that place, they equate it with the idea of heaven, that it's a place we get to, like if we live right and we do all the things we're supposed to do, and if we, and if we finally get this shit going on, then when we die we'll go to nirvana, 
And that's actually not what it is. And in his interpretation of what the Buddha's teaching, nirvana is simply letting go of our reactive patterns, our habitual ways of greeting the world, our habitual reactions to things. We don't, you know, we don't do what we've always done. We don't necessarily respond the same way. We don't necessarily get caught up in things. In the past, when I've been faced with stuff that seems like it's overwhelming, I want to run away. That's my go-to. That's my habitual response to something difficult. Get the hell out of Dodge. And even if I don't physically do it, I'm mentally. I am mentally... I have great escape scenarios in my mind. And I remember doing this when I was a kid. I remember, get, I remember getting into bed and pulling up the covers and being so grateful because then I could let my head go to where I really wanted to be, which was not where I was. And so my mind has got years of practice at this. And so what's happening now is I've got this place and I feel this little run away, run away, run away. And I come back and I go, no. I can be right here, right now, with what is. Don't need to habitually respond. I don't need to run away. And, and he says, Bachelor says, that that is, the, that is the nirvana that the Buddha is pointing to. When we start letting go of our habitual responses, and I often believe that, you know, they talk about the nirvana, of the, the, final, the final letting go where in the traditional teaching that you're no longer clinging and you're no longer reborn. Well, you're no longer clinging. When you're no longer clinging, you're no longer suffering over the way things are. It's not that things are happy and wonderful and groovy all the time. It's not that everything goes your way. It's just that you're at ease with what's happening. And he talks, Bachelor talks about the Eightfold Path. Well, this is what I love. Um, he talks about the Eightfold Path. And, and the Eightfold Path is what the Buddha has, has, the teachings the Buddha has given us in how to live in a way so that we disrupt those habitual patterns, that we begin to respond differently that we begin to see things differently. And, and Bachelor talks about that when we begin to look at things differently, when we begin to have a shift in our perspective, that's when we're entering this stream of getting to nirvana. It's like when you're asking the question about coffee, it's not the thing itself. It's how we see things now. We shift our perspective in how we see the world. And we see that if we keep doing the same thing, we're going to keep getting the same result. If I keep flipping people off on the freeway, they're going to keep yelling at me or whatever, that, that, those little things. If I keep being sarcastic, people are going to keep being hurt. If I keep running away, I'm not going to ever walk through the, 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 the fears that I have. If I don't speak up, I'm never going to be heard. 
whatever it is that we struggle with, if we keep doing the same action, thinking it's going to fix us or thinking we're going to get what we need to get, we're going to not go anywhere. We're going to stay where we are. We begin to see causation. Because of this, this happens. Because I did that, or because this happened, this is what the, this is what the, um, the ramification was. And the invitation is to stay in the present moment and stay with our experience and see how our response is to push away what's unpleasant and hold on to what is pleasant. We have this, this, this um, hard wire to hold on or push away, depending on how we think about something. Because sometimes, you know, we hold on to stuff, and then the next day we go, what was I thinking? Or we push away stuff, and we go, ah, what was I thinking? You know, so it's not the stuff. It's how we are in the moment. And when we shift our perspective to say it's not the stuff, it's how I respond to it, we shift how we show up in the world. We see that things are uh, impermanent. We see that there is, you know, this unsatisfaction, that things are not always groovy and far out. Oh, that's old language, isn't it? That things can suck at times. That that's that people die, that pets die, you know, that relationships end, that that we don't get what we want, or we do get what we want. You know, we have to deal with all of these things. So just shifting our perspective means we're in the stream and and determining or deciding that we're gonna live kind of aligning to the Eightfold Path, this really wise way of waking up. There, the Eightfold Path of, uh, is divided into you know, wisdom and, and ethical behavior and, and mindfulness and concentration. And so when we look at, see things for how they really are, that things are impermanent and, um, and uh, uh, there's dissatisfaction in life, that shit happens. There's some wisdom that develops from that. And then when we live ethically with right action and wise speech and wise livelihood, that we learn how to live in relationship with other beings and not cause harm, which is really what it's about, not causing harm to others or ourselves. And then we practice mindfulness and concentration and really staying present with right here, right now right here, right now, is actually what there is. Everything else is our mind. Everything else is our, our response, our, our, you know, our reactivity. You know, we had an experience 5, 10, 15 years ago, 6 months ago, and we, we responded in a way, and now we, we kind of keep doing that. We just kind of solidify our habits. And we react without thinking. We react, we don't respond. We just walk around on autopilot. And when we finally stop and put on the brakes and say, wait a minute, why do I do those things? Maybe let me do it some different way. Then we have some wisdom. 
And maybe things will shift for us. Our experiences will shift. Um, yeah, to enter the stream of the Eightfold Path means to go against the stream of one's reactivity. It goes against our, re- our regular, re- our normal reactivity. It goes against our drives. It goes against our social conditioning or our psychological inclination. It encompasses all of that. You know, we have this tendency to say, I can't help it, that's how I am. And that's an easy way to say, I don't have to do anything about that. But this practice invites us to really look at that stuff. If it's causing harm in any way, shape, or form, it would really behoove us to investigate it. Is it true? I can't help it, that's how I am. I've said that so many times. I can't help it, that's how I am. And I don't do a lot of that stuff anymore that I couldn't help because that's how I was. It was my deep conditioning that I was really willing to take a look at and say, you know what, no, I actually have a choice here. But it takes some work, it takes effort, it takes willingness to sit on the cushion. It takes willingness to sit on the cushion so we can get up and go out there and practice this and you know say you know that's not right that's not okay and and talk to injustice when we see it and um, really do things that need to be done that may not be that it might be easier to look in the other direction or stop fighting when that was our normal reaction you know Sometimes we used to punch and kick, and maybe the response is to let go and not punch and kick. We all, we all have different inclinations. We get to investigate our inclinations. I'm not the angry person. There are, I know angry people, and, so, and they're not angry anymore. They don't do what they used to do because they've seen what it does, and they're willing to let go. They're willing to shift how they live in the world by entering the stream of the Eightfold Path and going against the stream. That's what we're named after, against the stream. You don't just stick with the status quo, just cause. I can't help it, that's how I am. It doesn't work that way. It's really important to turn towards and say, this is not, this is causing harm. There's a, there's a, there's a, a, something from the um, Dhammapada about how we begin to live. You know? as long as, if we're concerned with our place in the world and how we look to others and our status and our, and our, and our wealth, our economics or whatever, as long as we're focused on that, we're going to be dissatisfied. It's not going to work. But when we shift our perspective... And it's based around, you know, the Dharma, and it's based around um, these teachings. It's, we live differently, and, and this, these lines for the Dhammapada is, do no evil. It's simple. It's simple. It's really simple, this shit. It's really simple. Not easy, but simple. Do no evil. Take up what is good. Purify the mind. This is the teachings of the Buddhas. The awakened ones, the people who are awake, the wise ones say, do no evil, take up what is good, purify the mind. 
and purify the mind of toxins of, of, of those things that keep us closed down those things that keep us those hard edged which is why I touch on soften so much soften, soften, soften we, we, we soften our edges you know we find our edges in our practice where is our edge and then we work to softening it is it around speech is it around patience is it around anger is it around relationships what's our edge everyone is different we all have a different path and we find our own way and I just heard today totally as an aside that they is now recognized as a singular in the, I guess the Oxford English Dictionary of the Year picks a word so now you can say they as a singular instead of having to say he or she so very exciting sorry that was grammar nerd coming out here <laughs> um, so any they uh, we look at how we harm others and we purify the mind by looking at how we have you know become constricted how we have you know tried to hide from hurt tried to hide from pain and we begin to say that's not the answer and we soften and we, and we turn towards and we, we look inside and we do the work so we can live without doing evil and we can take up what's good and purify the mind. This is, this is also what he said. Nirvana is right here, right now. And it's a ground on which to live. And I love that. I talk about that a lot. I think there's another teacher, a monk, Buddha Dasa, who also talks about that. Right here, right now. We can be at ease right here, right now. If you've ever had those moments where you're just sitting and there's no attachment, there's a complete ease. Like I, t- I mentioned earlier, the sunrises and the sunsets have been spectacular lately. If the next time you stop and just look at one, just be in that moment, feeling what that's like. Oftentimes it's quite pleasant. There's no attachment of like, I need that, I need that. And, and, you know, let go of taking a picture even. Just kind of be with it. That stuff is all around us all the time when we pay attention, when we're not lost in our mind, when we're not lost in thinking. When we're not lost in tomorrow. It's very easy for me to get lost in what I have to do. My mind has a tendency to plan. And I can say, I can't help it. I'm built that way. I'm a planner. I'm an organizer. And I am, but I don't have to live there 24-7. I have. I have gotten up at 3 in the morning and thought about shit that needed to get done. Or that I was afraid I might have to get done but wasn't really sure, but I better plan for it anyway. Made up stuff to worry about. And now I can go, you know what, I don't have to do that. I'm not built that way. It's just my inclination. And I can make the effort to come back and let go. I can bring some metta, loving kindness practice to myself right now because it really sucks. That's really unpleasant when you're up at 3 o'clock in the morning worried about stuff. It's not pleasant. So can you be compassionate towards yourself right here, right now? Be compassionate towards right here, right now. Unpleasant, unpleasant, unpleasant. 
kindness, kindness, kindness. Compassion is the response. Compassion is always a good response to whatever we're experiencing. Always helpful to be kind. So if we can make the effort to be present with what's happening and notice how we're responding to it, we have an opportunity to shift how we respond and not necessarily respond habitually and begin to create new responses, carve out some new neural pathways. You know, the mind follows the mind. If we keep inclining the mind in this direction, eventually we're going to autopilot in that direction. If we, keep, if we keep playing those old rotten tapes, we're going to keep, you know, getting those old rotten results. You know, if I keep calling myself a dumbass, I'm going to have that, that piece inside of me that thinks I'm a dumbass. I called myself a dork the other day, but it was with love. <laughs> I don't call myself a dumbass anymore. I don't say I'm stupid anymore. We make mistakes. We're human beings. Life is messy. Shit happens. And Bachelor even talks about how the Buddha said you don't get nirvana and then it's like, ah. It's not how it works. It's moment by moment by moment. And if you're in the path or on the path, you're going to have these moments where you like get caught up and you're like in fear or anger. And then you go, oh, wait a minute. Bring yourself back. It's like your meditation practice. You sit and you're present, and then you get lost, and then you come back. And then you get lost, and then you come back. And that's how we walk through life. We pay attention, and then we get caught up, and we get lost, and then we come back. And then we get caught up, and we get distracted, and then we come back. And that's how this works. So we're still on the path, and we can still have those momentary experiences of, of some bliss right here, right now. We don't have to put it off until we get all our shit together. Then. It's not. It's, it's, it's being aware of it. It's cult- you have to cultivate the mindfulness so you can be aware of it. Um, it's also... Um, it also speaks that, that part about, you know, you have it and then you get caught up and you have it and you get caught up. I was talking, I think, a couple of weeks ago about the practice of forgiveness and how, you know, we, we, we really want to um, cultivate forgiveness because it's not that the other people don't deserve to be forgiven, but we don't want to carry that anger around inside of us because it's not healthy for us to have that anger. It doesn't do anything for the other person to be pissed at them. It has no impact most of the time whatsoever. You're caring, especially if they're like not in your life or dead. What what purpose does it serve to carry that that toxicity? This is the purification of the mind. This is part of that. But you know, Noah tells a story about how at one point he felt he had forgiven everyone. There was he looked at everyone in his life and he did not feel anger towards anyone. And he was like, "Got it, done." And then something came up. I don't know how much later. And he found out he was really pissed again at one of these people that he thought he had totally forgiven. And it doesn't mean you suck, and it doesn't mean you've fallen back. It just means that this is what it's like. 
it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes and we we remain vigilant we cultivate the mindfulness and the more mindful we are the less apt excuse me the less apt we are to get caught up or the less time we spend caught up i can still go into those runaway fantasy scenarios but i can't remember the last time i spent days or weeks there it's really been a long time now it's like i it's i remember years and years and years and years ago when i was working on my self pity cuz i was like i had a i was really good at self pity wallowing self pity i think it was called and i remember just living there because it brought me some kind of comfort it was like self soothing in some way it's a self pity but it just wasn't very wise and when i started seeing this self pity and going oh that doesn't serve anything because it has nothing to do with right here right now it's just made up stories i was able to i'd find myself going down that self pity path and then i'd go oh this doesn't work and it was just let go you begin to recognize these things for what they are it's much easier to let go oh that doesn't work that fantasy of escape doesn't really work and there's really nothing to run away from i can hang out right here right now cuz really right here right now it's pretty awesome i'm sitting here in a room with a bunch of lovely people i'm enjoying being with you pleasant 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 and i can hear myself my old self <laughs> arguing that is so lame cuz don't you know all the shit that's going on it's like yeah there's shit going on but right here right now i have to acknowledge right here right now and when the time comes to deal with the shit i'll deal with the shit I don't need to bring it up forward. No, you're over there. I don't need to talk about you till Thursday, but I'm going to hang out with you for the next 5 days. Worrying and being miserable, being angry, being whatever. We don't have to do that to ourselves. The freedom lies in letting go. The freedom lies in being here now with what's happening here and now, right here, right now. He uses a term that I really really like and he calls it lucid equanimity. Equanimity is being in balance, not being knocked over by by what's what your experiences in life, by what's happening with you and I love that that flavor of lucidity that goes with it just clearly seeing what's happening, acknowledging it. and being at ease with it anyway seeing that there's pain because of the relationship that ended or there's great joy because of the the birth of a child and being able to be balanced to feel to experience the emotion and have ease around it have equanimity around it and be so clear that's a promise of this practice 
it's an absolute promise of this practice. And it's something that I've experienced. And I want to say it right now. Don't believe it just because I say it. This is not a practice of dogma. It's not a practice of do this because, because, because. It's not that. It's these teachings are offered in, a, in, a, in hopes that they'll help you end your, your dissatisfaction, your suffering, your unease, your um, discomfort in your own skin. Whatever your experience is in this world, it hopefully will ease it in some way. And I know it's been, it's, it, it's been true for me. It's eased my, um, it's eased my journey in this life. Because the shit hasn't changed much, but my relationship to it has changed dramatically. Absolutely night and day, how I show up for stuff. Absolutely night and day, how I show up for stuff has changed. To be in the present is to be in the flow. And he also, like how he points out that the present time is not a point that we pick and we lock. Because that's craving, that's clinging, that's attachment. It's actually being in the flow. It's not like a rigid, it's not rigid. There's no rigidity in this practice. There's an ease, there's a softness. So we just are equanimous in the flow. We go with the flow. It's kind of a, it's kind of a paradox. We're in the stream, but we're against the stream. We're in the flow, but we're against the stream of this conditioning, this, you know, this societal conditioning, the the psychological inclination, the habitual patterns, the, the stuff we've experienced as humans on this planet. We're free from that. And sometimes we need help. Sometimes, you know, we go to therapists or some kind of, we need a little bit more than just what we get on the cushion because we don't do this alone. We're not supposed to do this alone. That's why we take refuge in sangha, in community. You know, in the community of, of wise, like-minded practitioners. It's really important. <coughs> so, one last point, and then I'm happy to open it up for any questions or something. He, he talks about how when we begin to see, if, when we're caught up in the I am, the, you know, I am this, I'm a mother, I'm a, I'm a sister, I'm a wife, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm a whatever it is we are, you know, we're doctors, I'm a doctor, I'm a, I'm a singer, whatever our eyes are, and we get caught up in those, and our, and our, and our sense of, of worth is, um, dependent on how we look to others or how we look to ourselves, these images, and something happens to knock it over, you know, if we're, if we're um, you know, if we're whatever, if we lose our sight or our, our voice or our, our, or our loved ones are taken from us or our house blows up or something, we see how fragile that is and how easy it is to lose it when we're grounded in something out there. But if we're grounded in here, if this is our grounding, not the I am, but the ease with whatever's happening, there's a tremendous solidity with that. There's a tremendous, there's a, there's a way to not, it, it really diminishes fear. Because I'm not afraid of what if. 
what if that happens? What if this happens? It really doesn't matter. I'm okay anyway. I can be at ease in the midst of really awful things. And that's where the liberation is. Really important to remember that liberation is not out there. It's right here, right now. And I'm only up to page 60. I can't wait. So those are my thoughts about Stephen Batchelor's thoughts. And I'm happy to hear questions or comments or... <laughs> Buddhism without beliefs might be a better place to start than this one because I think it speaks more to that um, dogma, religion I think Stephen wouldn't Stephen sees um, this less as a religion and um, uh, more, more spiritual um, more of a way of being in the world that eases the discomfort um, you know as I said earlier when the, the Buddha died and immediately you know stuff started to be reinterpreted um, which happens with everyone, any teacher. You know, there's great interpretations no matter what. There's even interpretations while they're still living. It's like, no, you didn't really mean this. Um, you meant this, because I know. Um, so, it, but it became, uh, became as with most, you know, practices, it, it, it did become a dogma, it did become a religion, it became very ritualized and strictured in many places around the world. So, you go around the world to, and, or you read about different sects in Buddhism and you, won't, you wouldn't know they were the same. You know, some are very, very, very rigid and religious. And that's not this at all. And um, I'm not drawn to that at all. And I don't think most of the people who come to Against the Stream are drawn to that really at all. It's much more about the teachings and how do they ease suffering. You know, what did the Buddha say and how did, they ease, how did it ease suffering? That's why I said, um, you know, there's, it, everyone is welcome. Don't believe it just because I say it. Try it for yourself. If it eases your suffering, if it eases your discomfort, yay. If it doesn't, you know, maybe it's not the right path for you, but, uh, or try harder. I don't know. Um, but it, it's, it's, um, it's not dogmatic in that if you don't believe this, you're fucked. So, what is it? My karma ran over your dogma. That was a <laughs> bumper sticker I, popular years ago. 